Welcome, learners, to another episode of LLL Talk, EU Education Made Simple, the podcast of the Lifelong Learning Platform. Through this podcast, we aim to shed light on some of the difficult jargon that the EU uses daily to bring learners close to Europe, and vice versa. My name is Andrea, and I will be your host today. And today, we have an amazing topic to discuss, rethinking learning outcomes from assessment to well-being. LLLP has dedicated much of the year to this theme, researching assessment methods in all sectors of education and their impact on learners' and educators' well-being. I could not be in better company today, for I have with me Professor Leah Daniels. Welcome, Professor. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Professor Daniels teaches several classes at University of Alberta in Canada. She holds a PhD in social psychology, and she is an author specialized in educational psychology. Her research is said to be bridging motivation and assessment, and I think this would be the perfect topic to start with. Professor Daniels, let's start easy. Would you give me your definition of assessment, evaluation, and testing, and what are the challenges and different approaches? Yeah, thanks for that question. I'm so pleased to be here, and uh, as I bring these definitions to you, I just want to remind your listeners that sometimes there is a real difference between the North American context and the EU um, in education. And so just to keep that in mind as I work through some of these definitions, how there could be similarities, um, but then also possibly some differences. When I work with um, pre-service teachers or current teachers talking about assessment, evaluation, and testing, we tend to think about assessment as the things that we use to bring in data. So uh, there could be discrete assessment forms, there can be different approaches to assessment, but those are the practices that teachers are using in their classrooms to um, collect information on what students have learned. Evaluation has that judgment component attached to it. So that's the place where we look at what the assessment data might show us and then make decisions on how much students have learned, um, where perhaps they need some additional support, um, where there are still learner outcomes that perhaps they haven't mastered and we need to go back and teach some more. And then testing, is probably a term in North America that gets most often associated with like standardized testing um, or something that would be separate from what a classroom teacher uh, is creating and using uh, out of their own sort of initiative. Um, Those would be the things that come into the schools for some type of reason um, and are, are sort of layered on top of what the teacher's own assessment and evaluation practices are. In terms of challenges, um, I think assessment is probably one of the the areas that most pre-service teachers I work with find themselves most overwhelmed by. So they love their curricular area. They're so excited that they're going to teach history or chemistry or whatever it is, and they've got their own expertise in those curricular areas. But now they have to not only figure out how to teach it from a pedagogical perspective, and even that's kind of fun, but they have to figure out how to decide if students have actually learned the content. Um, And in order to do that, they need to use assessment. They need to evaluate people. That can sometimes even be an uncomfortable space. We're not used to um, discriminating between people and saying, you've done really well and you still need some additional support. Um, And then they have to wrestle their way through how those um, personal professional decisions and practices in their classroom fit within a broader testing and accountability scope. So I think there is a lot of tension there, um, but I also think that there's a lot of potential. 
I think assessment holds a lot of potential um, that new teachers don't always recognize. I see your point and I, I see the tension. Um, I never thought of the definitions of assessment, evaluation and testing like this, uh, but I have to say that it is very interesting. But it begs the question, would you get rid of grades at all? Yeah, if I had a magic wand, I probably would. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that won't happen, at least not in North America or Canada, um, in all likelihood. Everyone likes grades. They like what they um, sort of convey about learning, right? So when a student takes home an A, their parents can be proud. The student can feel like they've, they've done what they were supposed to do. The teacher can, can say, yes, you know, I reached that learner and they, they gathered that information and, and they've, they've met the learner outcomes that I want. But I like to picture each grade as kind of having like a normal curve distribution around it <laughs> um, because we're, we're always interpreting what those letter grades mean. So the student who takes home a B may be devastated by what that means, um, or they might be really satisfied with their learning. Uh, and it's hard to tell that just from the letter grade, um, the same way that there are students who get very good at taking tests and get very good at achieving high grades without ever really sparking a passion or getting deep into their, their content areas or expanding their learning. Are those A's the same A's? I, I don't really think so. Um, and yet it just conveys, it gives everybody this like sense of peace that it's okay because your grade says you did okay. Yeah, I see your point. And, and my mind was wandering back at my school times and what I felt about those average grades, those outstanding grades, at those not so good grades. And it's true that the feeling is actually different from subject to subject, from year to year. Um, I never really thought about this. Well, and that's a great activity for your listeners to do. You, like, you can just pause and think to yourself, is there a letter grade that was sort of lower than what I would have liked to have seen, but that I was so proud of? right? And, and what was it about the learning that made me proud of that B minus? And then were there grades that I got that like, they didn't even really mean anything. Like I, I didn't have to exert a lot of effort. I, I don't have sustained learning from it. I didn't get really excited. But there's the A on my transcript. Um, and, and there it is. So it must mean something. Yeah, it actually does. It actually does. Yeah. Um, I see your point. This is definitely going to give food for thought to education professionals everywhere. Uh, let me bring the focus on well-being. What does mm -hmm. well-being mean in education and training for you? Yeah, that's that's a really important question. I, I think I think that question has actually always been important, but it has probably never been more important than it is right now in the midst of COVID nineteen um, and the the pressures that students and teachers. Um, are experiencing uh, in this particular period of education. So for me, when I think about well-being in education, um, the words like enjoyment, effort, persistence, satisfaction, um, value, those are the type of words that come to mind when I think about what it means to be experiencing well-being during your education um, or training. It means that you like to go to school, <laughs> that you are feeling filled up, that you are ex uh, identifying and experiencing uh, places of interest 
um, and places that you can get excited about. And I think that that is actually something that educators um, have always wanted to do. But ironically, assessment sometimes gets in the way of that sort of um, larger objective of education. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, food for thought. Um, is there a correlation between learners' well-being and assessments or evaluation? Yeah, there, there is a correlation. Uh, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's not so strong. Um, because I think a lot of it has to do with what you actually mean, uh, what you're measuring in research uh, in terms of well-being and what you're measuring in terms of assessment. So, for example, the body of literature on formative assessment um, being strongly positively associated with student well-being is quite robust. So when we give students lots of opportunities to practice, to get feedback, to improve, um, to make sense of their own feedback and set a plan forward, that tends to be associated with well-being and it tends to be associated with better grades. But we actually haven't looked very much at the relationship uh, between summative assessment, tests, uh, final exams, um, graded essays, large projects, and well-being as a whole. If anything, we've mostly focused on like test anxiety. And we know that those testing situations um, and the, that fit into a form of summative assessment, those are highly associated with test anxiety, right? Students are nervous before the test, they're ner nervous during the test, and then they can be anxious while they wait for their scores to come back from their tests. Um, so the whole period is, is highly emotional and usually in a um, unpleasant valence as opposed to a place where it's like, yay, my test is on Friday. We don't usually see that. One of my own um, passions right now is that notion that the summative assessment, the stuff we're not getting rid of, um, the, the stuff that we have to do to assign grades, it can't keep getting excused from being harmful to well-being, to being stressful and filled with test anxiety and perhaps even bad for relationships if there are um, unfair questions in there or um, cultural insensitivities or things like that. Because what I feel the field's done for quite a while is say the solution is to use formative assessment to support well-being. So then we end up with spaces where people will use lots of formative assessment to support well-being and then still give the test at the end of the day. Um, and that summative assessment hasn't had to be scrutinized for what it's actually doing, or it's been just given permission to be long and hard and cause students to experience stress and anxiety in a way that can undermine their, their well-being. So that's a place where I think if we're if we're going to agree that we have to keep summative graded assessments, then we should also be of agreement that we should be creating summative graded graded assessments that do not harm well-being. We can't just turn to formative assessment. And that's kind of hard, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really hard. Um, but I think there are um, theoretical frameworks and um, pedagogical principles and certainly principles of motivation that could be brought to bear on those summative assessments 
in a way that is never going to fully take away test anxiety. That's just a natural thing. Like in our contemporary society, the test on Friday is the bear that shows up out of the woods, right? Like that's just, that is what our stressor in life is as a student. And so when it shows up, there's going to be a physiological stress attached to it. It shouldn't be a completely carefree um, period of time. They need to be taken seriously. But I believe that there's certain things that we could do to attend to the well-being even within the stressful period. So for me, I tend to turn to self-determination theory when I think about summative assessment um, and try and design summative assessments according to the principles of that theory. According to self-determination theory, there's three basic psychological needs. The need for autonomy, the need for competence, and the need for relatedness. And the more teachers do to satisfy those three basic psychological needs, the more likely students are to be intrinsically motivated in whatever situation they happen to be in, including potentially a test-taking situation. And intrinsic motivation is highly correlated with all indicators of well-being, life satisfaction, happiness, enjoyment, uh, sleep, everything you can think of happens and and has those positive strong correlations with intrinsic motivation. So when I think about these things, let's take for example just a regular old test. Okay? You've got, you know, 50 multiple choice questions on there, you've finished your unit and students have to do it. Well, how can I take that test and actually think about using it to satisfy students basic psychological needs? So, in terms of competence, I could make sure that the exam is actually set up to allow students to be successful. Is there reduced time pressure? Do they have as much time as, as they need? Are the instructions as clear as possible? Have I put enough structure in place around the exam to make sure that students are going to be able to focus and understand what they need to do to work their way through that? Have I told them that this test is not designed to trick them? Have I given them that reassurance that I'm just measuring the things that we've been talking about and not a whole bunch of extra things? Have I given them a test blueprint that shows them how many items might come from each topic um, on the exam? All of those are things that can support students' competence. Then we get to autonomy. Autonomy sort of boils down to like choice. And choice and assessment kind of bump into each other because the more choice we give students on assessment, the less we know that they all know the same thing. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. And so have I built in places in this test for students to have some type of choice, whether it's about, you know, do they write it at their desk or sitting on the floor? Or, you know, you can answer question one or question two, or even choice like when the exam should be scheduled right? Students students might have a lot of stuff going on, and we could give students autonomy in picking the best day to take the test. And then the third one is relatedness. Teachers establish incredible relationships with their students, and they, they really value those relationships. And I would want to just encourage teachers to think about that relatedness in an assessment place. So what kind of uh, words of encouragement can you provide uh, the students in your class before they take a test? What um, sort of feedback can you give them to build them up? How, when you give back the assignment, can you create space for students who might be disappointed by what the letter grade was that they got? 
rather than just putting them all down on the desk or tucking them into students' backpacks and not really discussing it after? How can you recognize some of those negative emotions or celebrate some of the successes that have happened on those exams? None of those things are earth shattering. Um, and teachers are doing them all the time. They're doing them when they think about how they're gonna teach a particular topic. But I don't think we've taken the time or care to extend them intentionally all the way through to the final summative assessment. Oh, wow. I have so many flashbacks now of my schooling university times, thinking back of how professors did or did not encourage uh, this sort of assessment. Um, I have to say I had a few good ones uh, that checked the boxes that you put. I'm uh, glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also always grateful that I can relate to those things. Um, how does, I mean, uh, this uh, this correlation between learners' well-being and assessment and evaluation for me is quite clear now. Um, and we also said that it differs a lot according to assessment and evaluation methods, whether it is mm -hmm. formative assessment or summative assessment. Um, I think that if you do not have anything else to add, we can, add, we can close on this note and make our listeners um, wonder about their school times and whether they had um, nice assessments or stressful periods uh, over time. Me, for instance, in university times, I recall that I had physical reactions, stressful reactions to um, exams. And they were not always on Friday, sometimes also on Mondays. That would yeah. kind of uh, ruin the weekend. Yeah, they can ruin the weekend. And, you know, I, I think that I would I would be pleased to stop here. That sounds great. And I would just encourage your, your listeners to think about what those experiences were like. And then if they're in the field of education in particular, or as a parent, to remember that it doesn't have to be that way. Assessment shouldn't have to be something that ruins the weekend. Um, it, it should be able to be a celebration of learning or a recognition of growth or an identification of ways forward, even when it's the summative thing that you've studied for all week and you poured your heart into. Um, so it doesn't have to be this way. I think we can, with small adjustments, create a space in which summative assessment doesn't undermine well-being. It doesn't have to be this way. This is the perfect ending to our episode. Um, and perhaps it will help uh, care a little more about well-being in education, both as learners, as educators and teachers, and as parents. Thank you very much, Professor, for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We'll see each other next time for another episode of LLL Talk. Mm -hmm.